VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Tuesday, May the 3rd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly. Greg Smith is producing the program this morning. Back where it all began. You're looking forward to speak with Greg? Of course you are. And then getting on the air. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 273-5211. Or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So are you one of those hockey fans that if your team doesn't make the playoffs, you'll just cheer for the next Canadian team? So this year, of course, Edmonton, Calgary, and Toronto qualified for the playoffs. Toronto, of course, the playoff format is just so weird, right? They have 115 points, and they open up the first round against the three-time Stanley Cup champions, two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, Tampa Bay Lightning. But last night, they absolutely pummeled them. Now, Tampa Bay looked awful, but Toronto looked good. A couple of goals from Matthews, one from Marner, a shout-out from Campbell, stopped all 24. Here's the question for you. Not only do you just cheer for a Canadian team just because... But are there more Leafs fans or Habs fans in the province? I would imagine they're the two most popular teams. In amongst my core group of pals, it's a pretty even split. Now we got some Oiler fans, you know, Freddie and Skinny, and a couple of Islander fans kicking around, a couple of Bruins fans kicking around, but a lot of Toronto fans, a lot of Montreal fans. I just wonder what would be the most popular NHL team amongst those two here. And all right, Dawson Mercer. So the Devils didn't make the playoffs, but he got the call from Team Canada. So he's going to be appearing at the Worlds, coming up in Finland in a couple of weeks so he got the call he says when they call me i didn't hesitate i love playing with hockey canada of course two-time world junior team canada member and now getting to play for the senior men's team for the first time that's absolutely brilliant growlers ooh, game seven tonight at the mary brown center had a 3-1 series lead, and now look where they are. Now, no pressure on Trois Rivières. So the Grounders last night plagued with what really kills a lot of hockey teams, giving up early goals in the period and late goals in the period, and did it a couple of times yesterday evening. So game seven tonight, if you're going down, enjoy. Today in history, 1979. Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, became Britain's first female prime minister. I don't imagine she'd appreciate some of the politics on the go in this country at this moment in time, but anyway, that's the date. We all have to take a moment to get used to the different driving seasons, right? Early on in the winter, we see some fender benders because people just haven't adjusted the way they approach the roads. I think the same can be said in the spring and the summer. So now it's worthwhile putting this out there. Keep your eyes peeled for our two-wheeled motoring public partners, motorcyclists. You know, there's a lot of precarious times, whether it be when you're following too closely behind a motorcycle that can stop so quickly, whether it be not given the real careful two-way look at intersections, because before you know it, the motorcycle can be upon you or you upon it. So it's worthwhile changing our mindset now and knowing that more and more motorcycles will be hitting the roads day after day after day. Then, of course, that brings upon the annual debate about the loud pipes and all those types of things. Also, a couple of emails overnight from some communities in and around St. John's about the dirt bikes and the ATV. So all of these things become annual conversations. Not a whole lot changes regarding enforcement of some of the rules that, that are in place. But, you know, if you want to talk about any of those particular angles, let's do it on the program this morning. But keep a look out for the motorcyclist, their knees in the breeze. And here comes boating season. No reference to one particular event, but again, sometimes we have that burst of energy, can't wait to get back on the water, and maybe some of the safety issues aren't part of our initial thought. So, 
put on your life jacket. Okay, let's get to some opportunities that may indeed be out there. Last year, there was a release of a report called the North American Renewable Integration Study, largest study of its kind, looking for opportunities to increase integration and transmission of clean power across North America. This was reiterated last week by U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. So we've got a real bilateral energy relationship between this country and the United States, and there can indeed be some huge opportunities for us. So talking about clean energy, and now we've seen the amendments made to Bill 61 to do away with the 2007 ban on wind energy. I don't know who in the private sector is interested in trying to find an energy corridor for a wind farm. Transmission would be huge, or whether or not wind will be all about the creation of hydrogen. But there's also distinct references to critical minerals. So here's the, the bullet points inside of this study. And not only talk about energy infrastructure, but also cybersecurity. Advancement of the clean electric grid, clean fuels, energy efficiency standards, the joint action plan on critical minerals, knowledge, knowledge sharing on nuclear energy policies, and then carbon capture utilization storage. We have an abundance of the critical minerals in this province. We have an abundance of wind in this province. I can indeed be part of the hydrogen world, which is going to be extremely popular. So I don't know if we'll ever get I don't know if we'll get an update in short order, say from Minister Parsons or anybody else, but it'd be nice to know how aggressively we are chasing this bilateral energy partnership with the United States, because we have opportunities. We absolutely do. So we all know that there's going to be, at some point in the future, a firm move away from fossil fuels. Not because I say so, because that's the way the world seems to be developing. Now, we know that we've got Beta Nord out there that very likely will get developed when Econor makes their final decision. But when we look down the road, sometimes it's easy enough to look to the end of the week, end of the month, end of the year, or the political four-year cycle. But before we know it, it's 2030. Before we know it, it's 2040. So getting out in front, being one of the aggressive partners, chasing opportunities, will probably put us in good stead. Let's not wait for someone to come knocking on our door. Let's go bang down every door that we can. Because we have the opportunity. We've got the skilled workforce. And so where that stands, I think it would be really curious to find out. Anyway, that's just a bullish, optimistic look on some of the opportunities that I think are right in front of us here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Okay. The province announced yesterday that the uh, new Assistant Deputy Minister of Health Professional Recruitment and Retention has been announced, and that's Dr. Megan Hayes. And we wish Dr. Hayes nothing but the very best. Talk about one of the most challenging jobs in the province today would be hers. Some people are probably worn out hearing about the stories in healthcare and the shortages of doctors and nurses and everything that goes with it. But the world is changing and how we have to go and try to recruit a doctor. I mean, there's some of the stories that have really grabbed headlines, like come June on Fogo Island, no resident doctor for the first time since 1792, and other communities that are talking about losing their last family doctor, whether we in Harbor, Breton, or Bayver, or St. Albans that has already lost theirs. So these challenges are absolutely real. The creativity required and the relationship between the community and the department and Dr. Hayes is going to tell the tale as to whether or not we're going to be able to attract doctors in particular to smaller communities. I think all hands play a role. But just talk about a job that I don't know who would want it. But Dr. Hayes, good on you for stepping up. Hopefully you'll get all the support you need because every person in this province at some point during the day or the week or the month thinks about health care. Not only maybe for themselves, but a friend, family member, 
The wait list is growing all the time. The backlogs in surgery is very, very real. So how Dr. Hayes approaches this will be, I think, quite interesting. I don't know. Generally speaking, the senior bureaucrats don't make themselves available for media interviews. And it's not in an effort to paint her into a corner because she's just starting the role. But maybe a better understanding of exactly what she thinks the future looks like and how her and her team will approach recruiting healthcare professionals, not just doctors, right across the board. So we wish Dr. Hayes absolutely nothing but the best and a bit of good fortune to go along with, I'm sure, what would be major energy she'll have to pour in to that particular role. Boy, oh boy, talk about a job you wouldn't want. All right, and here's how big the pressure is for healthcare workers. You know, this is a policy change that came past, uh, came forward last week, or uh, last week, maybe the week before. So, even inside of Eastern Health, some workers who are infected with COVID-19 are coming back to work. Not all, some. You can't have a fever, your symptoms need to be approving, but just imagine, that's where we are. So many of these extenuating circumstances has meant that we've needed to bring back healthcare workers who actually have COVID. Now, they'll have to wear all the personal protective equipment and all the rest of it, and it's not in every circumstance, but for some, that's how big the pressures are. Remember, it's not that long ago we had some 1,000 healthcare workers in isolation because of COVID-19. And now, we actually are under such stress that we have to bring some of them back into the fold, even if they remain infected. And a couple of other good things, and this was a long time in the making, the application process here at Eastern Health anyway, has now been open for subsidies in the fertility subsidy program. So it provides 5,000 per IVF cycle for eligible patients, up to three cycles to be eligible. You must hold a valid MCP card, be referred for, for fertility services by the fertility services clinic, and have not previously received a provincial subsidy for more than three cycles of IVF services. When deaths outnumber births, and apparently some one in eight families wanting to have children can't because of fertility-related matters, so this is going to be very helpful. There's still, I think, a question as to why we're still going to have to see families travel for these services as opposed to expansion of the clinical services here in the city. The doctors are there. They have the training. So I'm not entirely sure why it can't be a catch-all right here in the province versus some subsidy for travel. But that's good news. And the people who were fighting for it fought loud and hard, and rightfully so. And now that application process has been open. Now, I get that we're going to have members of the opposition take government to task and hold them to account. It's a critically important role and they have to do it. It's for our collective best interest. Sometimes I'm not so sure how political some of these issues should be though. For instance, it's not new this year and it makes my skin crawl, is to talk about rodents. Now, St. John's has been deemed the most rat infested city in Atlantic Canada, which is also quite gross and disgusting. But for years, we've seen this pop up in the spring of the year. Rodents in the hospitals. It's really revolting. It truly is. I did not look at the video that's circulating on purpose because I'm not a big fan of the rodent. And you know, the hospital, the Health Sciences Center, for instance, built on wetlands. And this is an annual event. We've long heard about stories of the mice running around at the Waterford or St. Clair's or hospitals, I would imagine, right across the province. And in fact, most every building will see some appearance of mice in particular, possibly the rats. So I get that we're going to paint these pictures because it's, you know, it's a reality. People have seen them. They've recorded the videos. A mouse, or a mouse running into a cupboard, for instance, and some of the droppings in the corner of the bathroom and what have you. So it is really quite something, but I will ask you this. 
especially when it comes to the rats. At some point, it's not just my personal property problem, and I bring in some rodent services. I get it, and I'll do it. Listen, if I have an inkling and I see a rat or the droppings, I'm bringing them in. I'm doing whatever I got to do. I'm even thinking about getting a cat, and I don't really like cats, to be honest. At some point, if the numbers become so huge, is it actually a public health matter? Is it? I don't know. And what would ever constitute some intervention by municipal or provincial governments? Because at this moment in time, they don't do anything, right? They'll give you some tips as to how to keep your property road free as best possible and what will attract and keep them you know any bit of food and water is all they really need so anyway those videos are something else and of course this will stoke the concerned voices but in the years past the last couple of years no flu people say where's the flu gone you know all of a sudden everything's covid no one's got the flu anymore there's a lot of public health measures in place, we know, and the virus has been quite obviously much more infectious and transmissible than seasonal influenza, but here we go. Now, very quickly, in the last couple of weeks, there's been 81 uh, reported cases of seasonal influenza, so I guess they're going to start reporting those numbers, because remember, and some of those concerns and questions I think were quite fair. In years prior to the pandemic, there would be reports sporadically about how much flu was around, the prevalence of the seasonal influenza. And then we didn't get any numbers, as if it had gone away in full. But it looks like it's back to the tune of 81 at this moment in time. But anyway, if you want to talk about it, we can do it. Let's see, there's, let's see if I get some historical context numbers here. During the 2019-2020 flu season, there were 708 cases of influenza reported in this province. Then for the next 23 months afterwards, none. So it's flu season again, or so the numbers say. The province updated its COVID hub yesterday for information purposes only. There's been one additional death, COVID-related death, uh, our condolences. And the hospitalization numbers moved from 16 to 24. Do you get the feeling that the worst has past you know all of the hospitalization numbers we're told all the time that they lag a couple of weeks behind so whether it be some easter related stuff but again some of the big fears that we had about thanksgivings and christmases and stuff really didn't do a whole lot no i guess people were probably mindful of whatever their steady 20 or whatever the some of the the numbers and some of the catchphrases associated with but I get the sense that we're okay. Case seemed to be stabilized, but I guess after some of the celebrations with family and friends and some maybe minor sports activities and tournaments and stuff, I, I don't know. But anyway, you want to talk about it? Let's go. Uh, I heard from someone yesterday. They heard our conversation with a gentleman, the VP at Toro, the car, the car sharing app, Cedric Matthew, I believe was his name about some of the protections associated with registering your vehicle on the app and the screening of potential guests and the type of cars that, you know, they have to be less than 12 years old, less than 200,000 kilometers, they have to go through a safety inspection, but they screen the guests and it doesn't impact your own personal insurance. They have a partnership with Economical Insurance. They take a 30% commission to pay for it. It's always wise to speak with your own provider before you get involved in these things, but I got an email overnight saying, we did it, we registered, we're going for it. It sounds like there's a lot of protection available. Now, not everybody's got a car sitting around that they could just rent to a visitor. But with some of the burden on the traveling public with the inability or the extraordinary cost of getting a rental, 
I think Toro's going to be popular, or at least it looks like it might be. They've had great success. They've been up and running in various provinces since uh, 2016. So curious your thoughts on the tourism season, was it whether or not you have an operation, hospitality and tourism, and or you're a community that is looking forward to the season for the annual economic bump, of course, and even come home here if you're interested. And one more time, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and there is a lot to the conversation, and we're more than happy to take it on. But let me add this, just to try to speak to a point that maybe I made quite clumsily yesterday. I have nothing but respect and praise and applause for folks who are advocates on any front, and certainly inside of mental health. The quest and the need for more long-term care, access, decreased wait times, all of these things are so vitally important. And the folks out there fighting the good fight, keep it up, bravo, you're doing yeoman service to the province. The point where I think it became clumsy is that, you know, the worry might be is if some people think there is no hope or help, that they might not seek the help. And they might just continue to toil in pain and in darkness. So please, go get the help. And if I rubbed anybody the wrong way with trying to strike that balance with that point, because sometimes it might have the adverse effect. Vince Withers at the Eating Disorder Foundation, he planted that seed in my mind years back, is let's be careful not to tell people there's no help, because there is. It might be a struggle. You might have to fight for it. You might have to wait for it. And hopefully we can do better on that front. So please, any conversation about mental health, mental illness or mental wellness is most welcome on this program right we're on twitter or vocm open line you can follow us there our email address is openline at vocm.com and where's the thing i had okay so today in 1986 dollywood first opened the doors of course that's dolly parton's theme park opened in pigeon forge in tennessee we're not going to play any theme related music from dollywood but everyone loves dolly parton right certainly one of the greatest singers of a generation, if not of all time. She's had hit after hit after hit, and one such hit was Jolene. Now, she wrote this song back in 1973. It was released eventually on October the 15th of that year, inspired by this apparently knockout, red-haired bank clerk who would flirt with her husband, Carl Dean. She was worried that Jolene's good looks, and the bank teller's name wasn't Jolene. Jolene was some fan who came up on the stage one time. So. This is, inc- this is extraordinary. Dolly Parton wrote Jolene on the exact same day that she wrote, I Will Always Love You. Talk about prolific. So here's a little bit of the legend. Dolly Parton with some Jolene. When we come back, let's talk about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Marianne, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. And uh, have a, it's a beautiful morning. It is, too. It is. Uh, quick question, Patty. Sure. Morning. You may be able to find out quicker than I can, or where do we go to find out? We were at a shopping mall. There was a store, went to Bay Roberts for a run. We went in shopping. When we got in there, I probably had about $30-odd worth of, uh, you know, items. When I got up to the cash, the items that the lady checked in for me said $250 uh, each. Now, you know, 250 So when she checked it in, they were 350 and I said, excuse me, but you made a mistake. These are 250 No, she said, I didn't. Some of our stock has gone up. Our inventory has gone up. And it's now 350 
I said, honey, you can't do that. I mean, the safe, the, you know, the tag tells me it's two fifty, and you're charging me three fifty. That's illegal. As far as I'm concerned, no, she said. Well, so just a quick question, though, Mary. Where was so there was a price tag on it that said two fifty? Yeah, denying not only a price tag. This store where I shopped to actually got it sealed into the item. Like it wasn't just even a tag hanging off it; it's sealed on the item. Every item, a two fifty, a dollar, two ninety five, two dollar twenty five. It's actually sealed on the actual item. So when I got up, I said, "No, lady, you know, I'm sorry, but that's wrong. I, I'm not paying three fifty for that item that tells me two fifty. Well, she said, "Some of our stock has gone up. No notice in the in the department store that the stock has gone up, but she's telling me." Uh, take it or leave it. So I said, no, I'm sorry. I don't want anything now. So I put back all $30 for the stuff. I'm not paying three fifty, Patty. To me, that's illegal. And no, nothing in store to indicate to us, the customer, some of our inventory has now gone up. If you're going to charge me three fifty, well, then you re- need to, you know, redo your, your stock and tell me it's three fifty before I start to purchase it. There's a couple of things. So... As far as I know, it's not illegal, but like there's sometimes a sign at the cashier that they say that they are part of a, a, a policy that says that they will abide by the listed price of an item, whether it be the little placard under the tins of soup or something that was in the flyer, because it might be in the, in the, uh, the machine, uh, in the system, priced differently than what you saw on the shelf or in the flyer. And most places will abide by that policy. They'll charge you what the listed price was or what you saw on the flyer. And in some cases, some businesses actually go an extra mile and they'll sell it to you for 10% cheaper. So, but that's an option that the store chooses or not. So there's nothing illegal about it. It might be misleading and certainly very frustrating and cost them a $30 worth of sales. But, you know, I would always suggest that people keep an eye, like you did, keep an eye on what's being zipped through because, you know, it's just a beep, beep, beep. Next thing you know, you look up, you've been maybe reaching for your credit card or getting your air miles or talking to someone in line and not paying much attention because it happens quite often, I would suggest, that whatever you thought the price was for the tin of beans has been charged a different amount when you get to the till. But it's not illegal. It's just a choice that that business makes. I would think it's an excellent idea for business to offer that service. I'm going to charge you what you saw on the price tag so that you become a repeat customer. You're probably not going back to that store, are you? But my question is, how many people have gone through that store and never even noticed that the item has gone up a dollar? Probably several. But see, that to me is wrong. That's misleading. It is. You know, when I go up and I take an item up and it tells me right on it, it's two fifty, and you're trying to charge me three fifty. I don't think so. I think <laughs> that's wrong. I don't you think know, you're going to get an argument from anybody that it's wrong. That's misleading, in my opinion. And to me, people got a right to know in that store, when I shop here, that you can be aware that some of our items are now more expensive. Like, let us know what's going on here. You know, don't just, you know, put it through without even me knowing. It's a better way to do business. I don't dispute that one iota, Marianne. And I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, even if it's about keeping your eye on your bill to make sure it's that it's accurate, you know, something that you get in your email and you have direct deposit or what have you, or direct billing and or your credit card statement or whatever, same thing at the store. What you think you should be paying for that tin of Bush's beans, if it says $2 and all of a sudden on the till it's two twenty-five, like for instance where I grocery shop, 
they'll abide by the price that was listed on the shelf and or in the flyer or whatever the case may be. So that's the best way to do business because you felt misled because you were misled. You weren't given any heads up that the 250 item is now 350 and that should be in the interest of fairness and doing good business. You should have had to pay 250 and not a nickel more. I agree with you and I'm glad you brought it up. The lady did say to me, well, I'll give you one for 250 but the other one you got to pay 350 I said, no, thank you. I don't want anything. Yeah, like fair enough. Fair enough. So it was well, this is in some it, sort of dollar store, is it? Well, that's what it was. Yeah. And I didn't say that, you know, Patty. No, I'm, I'm saying because there's a bunch of them. Now, Dollarama, curiously enough, they actually changed their pricing scheme. Uh, now the maximum for some of the products that they carry is now five bucks. That's how things, how, how quickly they've changed. Because I think there's a bunch of two and three dollar items. Now there's going to be as many uh, as I charge as much as five dollars per item for some of the stuff. So the world's changing yeah. pretty quick. Well, I just couldn't believe that they could do that and get away with it. I mean, a dollar yeah. each. Oh, Understood, Marianne. Point taken. I I know you're frustrated, but I appreciate you making time for the show. Yeah, and other people need to be aware of what they're doing. Absolutely. Without, you know, notifying us or letting us know. You know. But anyway, that's my pet peeve this morning, Patty. I'm glad you told us about it. Thanks for the call. Take care. You too, Marianne. Bye-bye. Uh, Mike on Twitter says, you're right about the scan code or of practice, but she says that a business she's talked about normally charging higher prices than the listed. This seems like fraud. I don't think it qualifies for that particular crime because, of course, you have the option to not just not buy it like Marianne did. So... Yeah, it's bad business practice, I would suggest, but it's not necessarily anything criminal, as far as I can tell. So, like, Marianne was a customer. Marianne now probably won't be in the future because she feels that that was a terrible way to be treated in, inside the shop. How are we doing on the phone out there, Greg Smith? Greg Smith, my first producer back in the Nightline days. Hotbox in the, the F-150. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Chrissy's in the queue to talk about mental health. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Okay, let's go. Line number one. Good morning, Christy. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How's it going? Doing okay this morning. Thanks. How about you? I'm all right. Um, I'm just calling about something that was said yesterday, and I appreciate what you said this morning about um, people who advocate for better access to mental health care and not, not wanting to discourage people from getting help. And I actually appreciate that you said that. It, um, gave, it made me pause, right? And people have said that to me before because, as you know, I, I do every week. I get out there and I say we need better access but I do also want to remind people that asking for help I am never ever trying to discourage that uh, when I was diagnosed back in 2016 I was I was so sick I was scared to drive I didn't think that it was safe for other drivers if I'm being completely honest and I knew I needed help and I had a family doctor at the time that went above and beyond. He was amazing, and he saved my life. And I am so glad that I asked for help. And, yes, I have had struggles since then accessing the care that I need. But I would tell anyone out there to please ask for help. I have used Wellness Together. I've used Channel. I've been to the Waterford. I've used the crisis line. 
and I'm thankful that all those resources exist. And even though it might not be exactly what I need, it has helped me, and I never want to take away from that. Um, and I guess I want to say to people out there, if you're listening and you hear people advocating, please, please don't think that it's a reason not to get help. Right. Um, and, you know, I, when I said it because it rings in my ears when that particular gentleman, Mr. Withers, said. said that to me. And I've always tried to consider that when I talk about things, especially access to mental health care. So the only reason I said it, and, and when I did, I was really trying to couch it appropriately. It was maybe quite clumsy, but... The ultimate point is you're doing what you have to do, what you need to do, what you should do, and I applaud you every step of the way and encourage you every step of the way and try to be helpful. The only thing I was trying to make, just in a very concise summary, is please, if you think you need help, go get some help. That's all. Not not to say that, you know, you or anybody else who is an advocate on this front is doing anything but trying to be helpful. No one's suggesting that you're dissuading anyone from coming forward. I did that to just try to drill that point home, that it might be difficult, and you might have to use stopgap measures like the Jacob uh, Potterson Memorial Foundation or Wellness Together or the Mental Health Crisis Line or the Warm Line, but please do take that step. Acknowledge you need help and go get help. There might absolutely be some gaps and some wait times and not the type of access for long-term care, but the only point I'll make is just go get some help. That's it. And so I I just had a clumsy way of saying it, I suppose, because it's a tricky thing to try to say. I don't think so. I, I'm glad you said it because we need that reminder, right? It, I think it's important that I be reminded of that. Someone reminded me of that a long time ago when I started um, demonstrating and I started trying to share resources to encourage people to get help and I've kind of fallen away from that and it was a good reminder and I guess that's why I wanted to come on today and say that yes, I agree with you, but as someone who is an advocate, I wanted to say it to make sure people know because my life was saved by asking for help and I want anyone who is thinking about it to please please do it I I hesitate sometimes because I know that sometimes people can have bad experiences and I never want to guarantee they're going to get what they need but I do know that it's worth it and I did um receive the help from my family doctor when I needed it and please please reach out for help if you need it another curious part of this is uh, someone via email one time told me that I'm taking all the pressure off of government by not continuing to drill the fact that government needs to do better when we try to offer solutions like the ones that I'm you know I use quite often wellness together Jacob Potter these types of things what we're trying to achieve there is the immediacy of help and it's not to relieve pressure on government it's just trying to provide an option as opposed to you knock on government's door and you get nowhere so then that might be the end of your fight for for additional help or care that's that's why i offer the other suggestions is because maybe just maybe that can be the roadmap to continued care get your foot in the door and understand that some of these services can help while you're waiting for more government's types of services so this is not taking the pressure off government and this is not knocking uh, down advocates just trying to present options that might be helpful and might be there today as opposed to looking at the calendar waiting for the call and being more and more frustrated and possibly more and more unwell so it's a really 
it's a, a tricky piece of business to navigate properly. We do our best with it to try to strike the balance of access to care, applauding the advocates, trying to ensure people realize that they can get some help. So whenever I trip up, I want to be told. Whether it be you or Robin Legro just did it and someone else did it yesterday on another topic, when I mess it up or trip up or didn't come across the way that could be most helpful to folks, tell me about it so that we can get back on track. Well, I'm the same way. I don't think that I do anything perfectly in my advocacy. I think I, like, I'm flying blind a lot. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I need to be um, called into check. And I know that wasn't like pointed at me. It was that advocacy in general, but um, I did appreciate it, and I guess I just wanted to remind people that they could get help. And as far as putting pressure on the government, believe me, <laughs> I try, and right now we have a petition that has been mailed out to a lot of people that we're hoping Paul Din will bring to the House of Assembly. He's offered to do that, which I'm thankful for, and I'm hoping to get some more petitions in. So, you know, I, I am definitely trying to put pressure on the government. I find it very stressful, but... Um, I know for me, I am working on it. So, Well, I think you're amazing, and I think you're making a difference. So thanks for making time for the program again this morning. You're most welcome all the time, even if you just want to uh, swap some messages and tr try to get some points that maybe I can make on your behalf. But you can call whenever you like, Christy. Well, thank you so much, Patty. As always, you are amazing for people in this province. So thanks. I hope you have a good day. Same to you. Take good care. Stay in touch. Thanks. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Yeah, boy, it's hard sometimes. You know what? Talk about flying blind. That kind of feels like what I do every day because, you know, you don't want to be so careful that you're afraid to say anything because if you, st if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. So anyway, your contributions, all of those callers and listeners and the emailers, tweeters, whatever, we'll try to get through it together, eh, boy? Let's go to line number two. Brenda, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you today? Doing okay. You? I'm good, thank you. Um, I came online. I wanted to talk about the accessible transportation here in the city. Okay. Um, I am a full-time wheelchair user. I am a regular GoBus user, and I'm also a regular uh, customer with Nissan Cabs as well. Um, and more often times than uh, not, when I go out to do shopping or go to a doctor's appointment or even just to go out on a night out of town with my friends, um, I'm finding hard to get home. Um, not, you know, calling a cab or calling go bus and I can't get a ride home. Um, two years ago, I got into a car accident. I got hit by a car because uh, I had to go out and it was during the middle of a snowstorm and I tried to call Newfound Cabs to get a ride home and I was calling for about an hour, hour and a half, and I wasn't getting any answer. So I had to venture my way home, and I was almost home when I got hit by a car. Um, and it kind of put me in a place where I was, you know, I'm kind of, kind of scared to go out in the nighttime now. Um, I don't really want to go out and go to dinner or go anywhere with my friends late at night because I don't know if I'm going to get home, you know. That's a tough way to uh, have to approach your social life or being just outside after dark. So did they change the booking system at GoBus? 
They did. They put a new system in, but personally myself, I don't like it, and I'm sure that there's other GoBus users out there that don't like it as well. Um, for example, um, Saturday night, I went to a function at the Hub. Um, I wasn't booked to come home on a bus, but I did get a bus booked afterwards because it was raining out. Um, so my, my pickup time was at 1230. Um, there was about six people at the hub at 230 in the morning waiting for GoBus to bring them home because GoBus only had one driver out on a Saturday night for maybe like 10 or 11 people, both in wheelchairs and ambulatory. Um, so you know, what's your suggestion, home. you know, to improve the system? How do you suggest they approach it? Is it simply about more buses, more drivers out, especially on the potentially busy nights like a Saturday night? Or is there some streamlining of booking that can be done? What do you think could help? I think, personally myself, I think that the system, like the system itself, has to be better. Um, I think that GoBus has to make a better uh, choices of putting drivers out there and not like because I had to walk home on Saturday night at 3.30 in the morning. I stayed at the hub until 3.30 in the morning and I didn't get a go bus. I had to walk home in the rain. Um, couldn't get a cab because Newfound don't have accessible cabs out on Friday and Saturday night. Like, it's ridiculous. The government has to stop and realize that if Newfound is getting a grant from the government to, to handle go bus runs and things like that, and if go and if Newfound has cabs out there that are accessible that can take drivers, should be taking drivers, should be on the road 24 hours a day. Simple. Yeah, no argument coming from me because there's a significant number of people in the community that need that type of accessible cab and or the go bus itself. Sometimes, and I know where folks who are, whether it be members of the Coalition of Persons with Disabilities or people who have some sort of disability mobility or otherwise, it is easy enough to feel like you're being treated less than others and that people are not aware of what you need for accommodations whether it be for transportation or just accessibility issues in a public building or a private building or at the house of assembly or wherever so when people tell me that they feel like they're not being treated as well as other members of the community it's easy to understand why and don't face- yes definitely brenda would you like to say anything else while we have you this morning I just think that, you know, if any officials of the government is listening right now, I really think that you guys should step up to the plate and make, you know, make the cabs more accessible for people in wheelchairs and um, make make metro buses more, all the buses accessible. They only have four buses that are accessible, you know, like... I have called Metrobus several times and asked them when these buses were going to be accessible, when these stops were going to be accessible. They don't know. They say they keep saying that it's being done in phases. You know, it's been like three or four years now. It should be done. Well, there are people listening uh, at the government this morning. Hopefully they've heard you loud and clear, Brenda. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Patty. You have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Uh, quick note. Uh, I believe the first caller of the morning talked about the fact that what the listed price was wasn't what she got charged when she went to the cash register. And I couldn't remember the official policy name, but it's the Scanner Price Accuracy Code. And that's uh, a policy brought forward by the Retail Council of Canada. It's endorsed by a bunch of different organizations for the obvious reasons. But the only problem with it is that it's voluntary.
So just because you have a retail outlet doesn't mean you have to abide by it. You can sign on, and they'll send you out that little sticker that you can put on the cash register that indicates they are already participating in this scanner price accuracy code. So what the listed price is is what you'll pay. If that was something that was mandatory, then we'd have ourselves figured out. So I would imagine the companies that have signed on, that is a really good service to their customers. Nothing quite like the ability to retain a customer. Nothing like customer service to make sure you keep coming back. And this would be a great example of. So yeah, thanks for sending the information along. It is called the Scanner Price Accuracy Code. And you should encourage the retailer you do business with to sign on to it on behalf of the Retail Council of Canada. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're talking Square Island. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. I'm not really sure which cab company has the government contract at this moment in time, but different companies have accessible cabs. You know, Gulliver's... Uh, in addition to newfound cabs so maybe spread it around but she made some excellent points there and just a quick reminder tonight on Canada's Got Talent our very own Kelly Loader who's in the semis I was, I was reminded via email let's go to line number three Lewis you're on the air yes thanks Patty for letting me get on your open line by uh, I listen to your open line all the time and uh, it's really good I appreciate that Lewis what's on your mind sir yes I got a lot of stuff on my mind Patty today and uh, I want you to give me lots of time. Uh, if I don't get it every time on your line, I'm going to have to call the Fishman Broadcaster, CBC, because we're getting fit up down here in, in Square on Labrador with the way we're treated. And it's, it's not good. Treated with what? In what regard? Well, uh, Square Islands, uh, uh, Square Islands is not just an island in the Atlantic Ocean, Patty. Square Islands... Uh, was always the, the home of many fishermen and still is the home of fishermen today. Patty, uh, my oldest brother, uh, Wallace, he was 84 years old, his, his birthday, and he went in the home on his birthday in Goose Bay. He uh, had gotten dementia and uh, he was very sick, right? But he told me uh, that his uncle, John Campbell, as my mom's sis, uh, brother, oldest brother, told him he, he, he fished with uh, Uncle John, and Uncle John raised him, Wallace. He told me that uh, Uncle John told him that Square Islands, the fishing community of Square Islands, was far older, far over 250 years old, and is still going strong today in the fishery. It would never change. It's one of the this fishing communities, uh, Patty, in all of Labrador. Now, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm retired now, Patty, in the fishery. I uh, gave it up a few years ago. Uh, I'll be 75 years old the 30th day of March. But I still have my fishing premises down there, and it's in half-decent shape. But if everything goes good, Patty, this summer, I'm going down for a month to do some work like patio down there is getting bad and stuff like that and I'll be, I'll be seeing all the fishermen I talked to uh, pretty much all the, uh, the members on the fishermen's committee over the last couple of days before I come on with you so I got their uh, ideas too. Okay, so I mean, Hawk Basin was used to be one of the world's biggest shrimp fisheries. Just with, and that's not too far from the Square Islands, I don't think. Uh, okay, so you say government's letting you down. On what regard? What do you need from government, or what are you asking or demanding from government? Well, Patty, uh, 
small crabs in harbor. I I told said this on your open line one time. Oh before. yes, okay. Uh, that small crabs in harbor put a wharf there over forty years ago, and uh, uh, the wharf now, the almost half of the wharf now, to tell you the truth, Patty, is under the water, and is in a really bad shape. The on the broad is only put there with around six, and, and some of them wouldn't the biggest. So the bottom is coming out of the wharf, and the wharf is settling down under the water. And getting, and it's all getting rotten. You can go, Patty, I'm not telling you where to Patty. You can go in broadside with your speedboat to the wharf and catch hold to some of the bolts is there uh, and hold and up your fingers. Uh, they're, they're, uh, the bolts got the sticks rotted around, and, and you can pull them out. And, and, that's, and that's true. And, and Patty, uh, I, we're at we're talking to small crabs and harbors. Uh, well, I tell you now, Patty, I've been up up here in Clarenville now. Uh, this is uh, almost eight years, and seven years, over seven years of that, I've been calling small crabs and harbors and trying to get a bit of money to fix up the war, and they still will never give us a cent. And I went in with a proposal, Patty. Uh, that's uh, when Bill uh, Golding was uh, the, the top guy there then. And uh, he wanted me to go down to Square Islands and take pictures of the wharf and bring it in with the proposal. So I went and made a trip down to Square Islands. And when I had to get the, uh, uh, my brother-in-law uh, to go down with me, and uh, with the trip kind of to Square Islands and back, Cost me over twelve hundred dollars. Uh, we burned, we burned over six hundred dollars worth of gas alone. And uh, then I had to I rent a boat down to Pinson's Arm, went across the grounds, took pictures, and I stayed two days down there when I was down there. And uh, I brought it all into Small Crafts and Harbor. I called Bill Golding and set up a meeting. And Bill said yes, no problem. He set up a meeting with me. I brought it all into Small Crafts and Harbors in. In St. John's, we had we had the meeting, and uh, well, everything looked good. He took the proposal and went and done copies out for all of us, and he passed them along for his own crowd too. And tell you the truth about it, the way he was talking there, I thought we might uh, get something for it. But so I told the fishermen's committee when I went went back, I said, "Boy, I said." Uh, don't give up yet. I said, it's, I, I don't know, but the thing looks is looking a bit brighter, I think. And Joe Golden, Joe uh, McGraw was there, and I said to Joe the other day when I talked to him, and Joe said to me, he said, things is looking brighter, Louis. He said, don't give up. And I said, no, boy, I'm not going to give up. And uh, I say, Patty, that 20 minutes after my back was turned, I went through the door. That proposal went in the wastebasket. But I never heard one thing good of that. We never got none of it. We've been pounding at them now for over seven years. And we're no farther ahead now than when the first day we started. How many people fishing out of the area? What's that? How many people are actively fishing out of the oh, area? The, commercial the, harvesters. Fishermen and fishermen get, come, get on in there every day. So new crews coming in there all the time. And there's long liners there. There's five or six long liners there. Uh, and uh, there's nowhere for them to tie up. The, the, the paddy, I think I've told you on the open line show before, uh, the fish fisherman is crawling over, creeping over part of the wharf there uh, with their nits and, and their gear, trying to get it out to the boat. 
and and it's pretty dangerous there. And I and I uh, and uh, uh, I told I think I on your open line show when I was on the last time. I said I said that uh, the only way right then the fishermen could get at their gear in the big buildings there, they t- they took went into the canopy. The canopy needs some work too. They went into the canopy was there, Patty, and they took uh, the chainsaw and cut a hole in the side of the plant, fish plant where they had their gear. I mean, that's a good building. And they had to cut a hole in the side of the building to get their crab pots and their gill nets and all the rest of the gear out through. And he t- takes it out through and puts it in through there for the winter. Now, that's pretty bad, isn't it? It doesn't sound ideal. No, sir. No. And now we, we've cleared 10 o'clock, but I'll give you the last word, Louis, before they send me off to the newscast. Go right ahead, sir. Finish up your thoughts. Uh, yeah, well, uh, we're not getting no no headways. Uh, I thought that uh, Yvonne Jones, i tell you this. Let me speak about her first. Very quickly, because I have to go. Uh, well, if you had to go, well, I want to have to go on another uh, another line and get this suit. Uh, Yvonne Jones, I, I, I called yesterday for her as I talked to Don, Kibno Don is the vice chairman, and he said she, he thinks she was up in the straits. So I called for her in Ottawa, and uh, I thought she was down back. And I talked to her secretary, and she said Yvonne is uh, on the plane now, uh, coming back to Ottawa. She was down in the straits area, then doing a bit of. Uh, Spend a bit of money, putting out a bit of money, do a bit of campaign, I guess. But, but anyway, uh, she said that uh, she's come forward to come here to the office as soon as she gets in Ottawa. Well, I said, uh, okay. tell her to give me a call. So anyway, she said, uh, I'll, I'll tell her to call. Yes, so I waited two hours. The plane was supposed to be there in a few minutes. She said, I waited two hours, never had an air call. <clears throat> so I called back to uh, the secretary. And uh, I asked her if Yvonne was there. And she said that uh, Yvonne had to go straight to the house for question period. And you haven't talked to her first or last? No, and so anyway, that was okay. I figured she might call me after. Okay. Because, because uh, she wouldn't going to be in the, uh, the question period for 24 hours. So I had lots of time for her to call me, so I waited for her. And she didn't call well, hopefully she does give you the call. It, it, it's five past, and they're flagging me off to the news. I have absolutely no choice, but I appreciate you making time for the show. Hopefully you got everything out. Well, Paddy, listen. Now, Lewis. One thing before you go. Before you Ten go. seconds. Let me say this before you hangs up. Uh, the government crowd, the federal government crowd, uh, is, uh, we can't get one cent of money from none of them. And they're all alike now. They're all tired with the same brush. I appreciate the call. I wish you good luck, Lewis. Stay in touch. Jones is not going to give up. No, Patty, I don't. It's not very nice for you to cut me off, Patty, because I'm going to tell you why. You have a lot of people on your show going on with a lot of foolishness, and you leave them on there. Lewis. I'm, I'm upset about this. I'm not happy. You, uh, you can be upset, sir. There's not much I can say. No, uh, I, 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 I said very little. I show all the time, Patty. And Lewis. And I hear people going on, for, going on, but this is very important stuff I'm talking about here. Mr. Cantwell. I said very little during this ten and a half minutes. It's five after ten. There's not much I can do about the time on the clock. I hope you had enough time. If not, you're welcome to rejoin us another time. How does that work? 
Okay. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break for the news. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Okay, let's go to line number one and talk a bit of boot camp, business boot camp with Kevin Casey. Good morning, Kevin. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How's it going? Doing okay this morning. Thank you. How about you? Good, man. Well, it's not going to be a fitness boot camp because you and I wouldn't be talking about that together. So no, sir. Thank God it's a business boot camp. Let's do it. So, I mean... You know, business, I think people are a bit more bullish than they were a little while back for the obvious reasons. But the way to do business has changed and changed very quickly. So some traditional businesses that have had uber success, they have to change with the times as well. What's happening at the boot camp? Well, here's the uh, thing. When when I agreed to chair this with the Board of Trade uh, about a month ago, I said the last thing a business owner needs is another conference. So people don't want to go to conferences. <laughs> we don't have time to do any more grip and grin things. That's not going to help. And I think sometimes what we have to even remember at the Board of Trade, and this is why this has been built for this, is if you look at all the 16,000 businesses in Newfoundland, over 55% of them are less than five people. So these are like small businesses 90% of all the businesses are less than 20 people, yet sometimes we hear about the big businesses and people think maybe that's what the Board of Trade is about. They're part of the Board of Trade, but this is not a conference. This is a boot camp, and in our committee's mind, we said we want to build this for the person that doesn't have time to listen to motivational speeches, that doesn't want to do any networking, and they're the people that are in the grind every day working in the business and they're going to come up with every excuse, because I was there as a small business person. They're going to come up with an excuse why they can't leave the office for a day or two days to attend this. So that is totally normal. So the whole thing has been built around fixing problems. And um, honestly, Patty, if you look at the lineup, we brought 45 different experts together. And this is going to be done almost like a world cafe where people go in. They think about the problems that's happened in their business. They go to that person, and instead of spending hundreds of dollars an hour trying to figure it out, they can learn from the experts right in the moment. So it's a kind of pick your adventure based on the problems you're having in your business. And we spoke to business people to figure out, to figure out what the problems are. And they're the ones we focused on. So we didn't make these problems up. We canvassed small business people and said, what are the things you're struggling with? And we recruited the experts, and we told them that we weren't paying them because it's your time to give back. And this is what we're doing for two full days. Okay, so let's talk about some of the different issues that are going to be broached here. Uh, I want to start with something that might be a little bit off the beaten track when we talk about you know how to tap into growth sectors and otherwise. But something that has become omnipresent is the cybersecurity risk. And that's for all sizes of businesses, whether it be governments and or business or, or uh, independent organizations. What do we talk about on that front? Because that can cripple you, not only to rebuild your system, but the potential for ransomware. Because the concept is it's not if you're going to get hacked, it's when. Yeah, I mean, this is the scary one because everyone thinks it's for the Walmarts and the Air Canadas and the Targets, but this is ransomware is basically preying on the best people in your organization, really good people who are the super nice people inside your company who are totally trustworthy, and when they see what looks like a $10 Tim Hortons gift card, 
that's not from Tim Hortons and they click it, it lets the bad guys in. So the bad guys aren't kind of coming in through windows or banks anymore. They're coming in through your sweetest, nicest, most naive employee. And this is kind of how it starts. So we're going to have someone tackle that. But, Patty, even down to the point of, you know, people are spending a lot of money on websites, wondering why their website sucks, nothing changes because they got a website. We're going to have someone that helps you out with that and literally breaks down websites right at the table. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, my teenage kids telling me I need to put my business on Facebook and TikTok and Twitter, and I'm totally confused. We're going to have someone that actually rocks your social media solo, which is Kim Patton and Wink, and she's going to talk about how she does it herself. So this isn't about all the macro problems. Some people literally don't know how to read a financial statement, and we're going to try to cut through all the jargon of EBITDA and amortization and all the words that my first five years in business, I didn't have a clue what people were saying, but I didn't want to say anything. How to have a difficult conversation with someone. How do I avoid the next bad hire? How do I even write a job ad to get me the right talent? How do I do an interview that someone's not going to head fake their way through until I hire them and realize they're a nightmare? Like These are all the micro problems that small businesses are dealing with, and we're asking them to leave their business for a day or two and fix the problems. And we had to make it this granular to deal with it. Otherwise, it was going to be another conference, and honestly, I didn't want to do another conference, neither did the Board of Trade. We wanted to make this very much about fixing real problems that we heard. Yeah, and you know, one of the first uh, first sessions about how to tap into growth sectors. So I'd be really curious to hear from Kieran Hanley from uh, Econext because we've seen some legislation change. Might be some big opportunities there. I know Mark Sexton is from Scotia Wealth, but he's also the chair of the Film Corporation, which there's big opportunities there, and the government is going all in with a new creation at the CNA campus about a formal schooling for participation in that. And then Michelle Sims, which I think this is critically important. The Genesis Center has become an incubator that has tremendous success and we need to understand how the entrepreneurial spirit can be matched up with the folks who have the vision to create the doodad so that we can monetize the doodad because we're good at research and development maybe not so good at monetizing so things like that be aspirational speeches from of course business kingpin jamie king and the verifin success story so there's a lot of stuff here wellness in the workplace with mike wall that's critically important for your productivity and efficiency so there's a lot there for everyone if i want to participate what do i do yeah, and I would put the balance on this is 20% kind of these aspirational things, but 80% is going to be rolling up your sleeves. So sure. here's what I think. Uh, I think some of the top people and companies may want to send their up-and-comers part of the succession plan, so it may not be the owner. Maybe it's someone inside your company that you want to invest in to send to this. If you want to go to it, literally go to the St. John's Board of Trade website, uh, call them if you want to ask questions, this is going to cost you about one one hundredth of what it would cost you to meet with some of these experts. Uh, I think it's one hundred and seventy dollars for one day, three hundred and forty nine dollars for two days. You know, this is working on your business, which I know from a business person is really hard to do because you think you can't leave. But uh, this is a time when you can actually start dealing with things in real time, and you're going to be surrounded by other people we're dealing with the same things and uh, sometimes even hearing about some of these growth sectors 
are going to make you realize there may be a revenue stream down the road in Newfoundland that's not even part of your business model now. And it all happens Monday, May the 9th, and Tuesday, May the 10th. Uh, thanks for telling us about it, KC. Anything else before we wrap it up? No, man, listen, it's, uh, it's great talking to you, Patty. Thanks for giving us the time. And, uh, you know, there's about 75 tickets left, so that's not a scarcity tactic. This was about getting the right people in the room. And if you're a non-member of the Board of Trade, call the Board of Trade and let them know that. And if this is your way, you want to test drive it, we're going to do something special for you. So uh, we want this to be about all businesses. I mean, again, 60% of all businesses are less than five people. They're the people that we need to come out to this because they're the ones that are kind of going through these problems. And they can always uh, do the tried and true and advertise on VOCM. Boom. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Good talking to you. Okay, Patty. Take Take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. Scam Casey is going to be chairing the business boot camp coming up on Monday, May the 9th, and Tuesday, May the 10th. Let's take a break. When we come back, Tom Badcock's in the queue. Of course, he's at the hub responding to the call we heard from Brenda and the lack of accessible transportation options. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number two. Good morning, Tom Badcock. You're on the air. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Great, sir. How about you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, as you said before you went to the break, uh, I'm calling in response to uh, Brenda's call about the paratransit system. Uh, Randy, you know, since, uh, since Randy, <laughs> sorry, Patty, since uh, 1995, uh, we've been dealing with this. Uh, I've been dealing with this personally. Uh, as you probably know, and as I've said many times in the past, uh, we started the paratransit system with a van and a sheet of plywood. And we started because there were people coming to the hub who simply had no other way to move around this city other than in a wheelchair-accessible vehicle. Uh, And that situation such as where Brenda's facing and other people in wheelchairs who can't easily transfer and things like this, they need transportation that allows them to wheel on and wheel off a vehicle. Now, you you asked her, how do we fix this? Well, uh, we fix this simply by addressing the users of the system and identifying the people who absolutely have no other way of getting around the city and the users who can get on Metrobus, the users who can use a taxi cab. And then once we know how we, the people that absolutely have to be on this system, let's deal with these people. Like we, we, we have had to cancel, for example, our New Year's Eve functions as of the last four or five years because the prior transit system stops operating. We, uh, since COVID, of course, were basically shut down. And now that COVID is basically uh, something that we're hoping we're through, we're trying to up our programs at the hub. We're trying to get our people back into all the social events. And the big deterrent is once they get to the hub, as Brenda will tell you, it's getting back home again. Right. You know, and, and this simply not accessible, not accessible, and not uh, acceptable anymore. You know, when when you look at the situation we're faced with now, we have a lot of people on the power transit system who can access 
other forms of transportation. They can get in a cab. They can get on a metro bus. So to start start off this process, we need to sit down, as I said, and say who absolutely has to use it and then address it from there and put drivers on, put people on so we can get people. You know, I know the priorities are and were and should remain the fact that people have to go to work. People have to go to their hospital appointments. But they have to also be able to get out and participate in social and recreational activities. And for some, a good majority of the people that come to the hub, that's their only time they get out of their homes to come to a dance, to come to a bingo, to come to an event. And they're being prevented from doing so simply because of the fact that there's no drivers on or a lot of people who could be using other forms of transportation are tying up the paratransit system. Now, I know a lot of people are going to call me afterwards and dump all over me, saying that, oh, no, it's not just for people in wheelchairs. But <laughs> how do you feel? Like, I can call a cab, you can call a cab, and, and the cab will come and pick you up. Brenda can't, and a lot of people can't do that. And that's the start, you know, and I, I'm so, so tired of saying the same thing over and over and over again, that People had to put themselves in these other people's shoes to say, man, you know, this is the only way I have to get around the city, and I, and I can't do it because there's no driver or no bus and nothing available for me. Sometimes if it doesn't directly impact your life, it's hard for some folks to wrap their mind around what is absolutely a problem. You know, and on the weekend regarding the cabs, and I'm not going to say anything disparaging about a cabbie or a cab company because they've had it pretty difficult as well. Um, the You know, on the weekend, for instance, like she said, there wasn't a cab available on a Saturday night, I think is what she said. And yeah. if you have maximum four people in the cab at one time and the cash is king approach trying to keep up with insurance and the price of fuel and everything else that that might be a business decision but we have to remember that you're also doing business with a significant percentage of the population that needs that accessible transportation so i get the point that they're trying to consider but we cannot turn uh, a deaf ear and a blind eye to whatever percentage 10 percent or whatever it is of the population five percent whatever it is these cannot be decisions that you make based on whether or not you can get home out of it you know imagine sitting there and needing just a very general what should be a absolutely available service and thinking well i can't go to bingo because i'm worried about getting home uh, well we just got to do better i know you know this 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 is my job this is what i do this is what i'm i'm doing at the hub for the last 30 years is the fact of trying to provide recreational and social and employment opportunities for people with disabilities and i can't do it i can't provide these recreational or social uh, opportunities for people because of, and they keep saying the same thing to me Tom you know we'll come or hopefully we'll come but how can we get home you're sitting around for hours like like uh, Brenda did trying to get back home uh, it's absolutely just simply not acceptable in, in, in 2022 to, for this to be going on you know we got a lot of big things happening at the hub over the next uh, six to eight months. A lot of people coming in to provide us with, with entertainment and for, for for things for people with disabilities to come to and attend. And always, always it's the same issue. How do we get people there and back? And I don't know. I know why can't Metrobus people sit down 
and say, look, this is what we have to do. This is, you know, call me. Say, okay, we don't know what we're going to be doing with respect to drivers, but call me at the hub and say, Tom, what do you got scheduled for the next week? I'll give them my schedule, and I'll give them the list of people that we have that we know are coming so they know they can allocate drivers and things. I understand the cab industry these days are having issues, particularly around the licensing and all the new rules and things. But for Metrobus and the GoBus system, man, oh, man, oh, man, surely you can address this to help these people out because it just it can't go on like this. Well said, Tom. I appreciate making time for the program. Whenever you need to promote one activity or another at the Hub, just let us know. We'll be happy to help. I really appreciate this, Patty. You've been a great help to us, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, there's a caller there to talk about customer service. Nothing like keeping a customer by having outstanding customer service, which you get at a lot of locally owned and operated businesses. And we're talking some community cleanup. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number three, second morning to Ward 1 Councillor here in the City of St. John's. That's Jill Bruce. Hi, Jill. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. How are you? I'm doing fine. Happy to take your call. Uh, How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, thanks. Busy. (laughs) That's the way it's supposed to be. I think so. I think if it's not busy, there's something really, really wrong, I've decided. A hundred percent. So what's going on with the community cleanup? What can you tell us? So yesterday we kicked off the start of Pick It Up for YYT. So that's a a cleanup campaign that Clean St. John's has initiated. So I'm very pleased to be the council lead for Clean St. John's uh, for the next two years. So cleanups are something that are near and dear to me. I've done them much way before council uh, time. So we've got a couple on board here now that are coming up in the next uh, couple weekends. And I was hoping I can just get some dates out there for residents who might want to come in and pop in and join us for a couple hours. So the first one is this weekend. It's May 7th, and that's from 10 to 11. Clow Valley Trails Cleanup. That's the meeting at the Bloomsbury parking lot. So that's the residents of Clow Valley have organized that one. And then the following weekend, we've got one on May 14th, um, and that one is going to be in Airport Heights. So that's my home turf. We're going to meet the Ron Colley School, and that one's from 10 to 12. And also on the 14th, uh, Deputy Mayor O'Leary has one planned uh, for the Belvedere neighborhood, and they're from 11 to 1, sorry, and they're meeting at Sobeys on Newtown Road. And then I've got another one planned for the 15th, um, and that's the Tupper Laurier Park area. And I don't know, I think most people know as you drive past that area on Torbay Road. There's quite a bit of trash accumulates there in the parks from the neighboring schools and that sort of thing. So we're hoping to make a good dent in that during that uh, that weekend. Well, I'm here to tell you that that area desperately needs cleanup. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. not too far from my neighborhood. So, yeah, that's a bad spot. Let me ask you this, Councillor. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a couple of cities that or towns that take different approaches here. In Cornerbrook, for instance, like last year they had this the Magic Cup. They put an X on the bottom of a few of the coffee cups that were outstrewn about the city. So people were encouraged to go out and incentivize to go out because you brought back the cup with the X on it. I think it was 100 bucks. This year, pardon me, they're doing the same thing. Participate uh, in conjunction with the city and then have a chance to win like a $100 gift certificate, a $500 gift certificate. It's a real crying shame that we feel like we have to do those things. But any consideration at the city of St. John's because if someone had a chance to win 100 bucks, it's probably the motivating factor they might need to go out and do it versus stay home and watch. I love that idea, actually. I'm, I'm all for anything that gets people, encourages people to get out and, and do 
something that helps the community. Um, that's a great idea. Actually, I'll bring that up with, I'll have a conversation today actually with the folks from Clean St. John's and, and then we'll, hopefully it'll be something that if we can't get it on board for this year, we'll be work, put in the works for next year. I'm, again, open to anything. Anything that gets people out there and helping, um, I think is fantastic. And I think Cornerbrook's a great city that we can look to. Um, they've, they've had some fantastic ideas over the years. Um, so yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. That's a great one. You know, it's it's a funny thing to me. I think this is actually a topic bigger bigger than just eyesore stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, for repeat visitors, for instance, I say this all the time because I think it's true. As a traveler, when I go somewhere, it's the same thing. But the people were like whether or not the place was dirty and how was the food. I mean, there are the three things that I really look at, yeah. and I think the same can be said for the city of St. John's. So it's not just that it looks bad with a, a bag blown up against the fence. It has bigger ramifications, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. So let's see what we can do to try to pull these off. Uh, do people have to register or do anything or just come no, the day of the cleanup and just grab their gloves and their bags and off they go? What do they have to do? So we'll have bags supplied by Clean St. John's, and they'll also pick up our trash at the end of cleanup. Bring along gloves. Um, we could supply plastic gloves, but I think it's better if folks bring their own um, because they can bring something a little bit more substantial than a, a plastic disposable. Um, just show up. Just come to any of these cleanups at those dates. Um, I'll be at pretty much all of them um and uh i think the one up here in airport heights that one's being organized by a couple of residents they've done a fantastic job of of taking this on i've kind of just stood back and helped them where they needed help with it and i think we're going to have some prize draws the day of that saturday uh the 14th so we're hoping to make it a real community event up here but back to your bigger problem um we we talked about this in council yesterday it's 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 a much bigger problem than just having cleanups and trying to fix the problem we need to be proactive and we need support from companies to you know even simple things with their dumpsters keep the covers down yeah everything they, they know you throw this material in there and then the neighbors call and say it's all up against their fence and it's the same places the same times of the year every single time so i think these small changes can make such a huge impact but i don't know about you when i drive through the city and i see the garbage up against the fences and i, I it, it does something it breaks my heart because it's such a beautiful city and we've got all these people coming home and it's not even the people coming home for the summer it's it's just the, the people who are making their daily treks back and forth and, and just looking at this garbage it's disheartening so hopefully we'll do awesome our small part and uh, and we'll try to try to clean up what we can but in the meantime it'd be nice if we could be more proactive and i i love your idea of the the contest i think anything to get people motivated absolutely and it'd probably be the difference between 50 people doing it and 100 people doing it maybe as serious as that i appreciate the time this morning jill thank you Absolutely. Thanks a million. Take good care. Bye-bye. That's Councillor Jill Bruce, Ward Number 1 in the City of St. John's. Let's go to line number 4. Good morning, Gary. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. I was listening this morning to the the gal that had a situation with uh, the prices in the store there. And it uh, reflected on the time when I was in Alberta. I worked in the grocery store uh, uh, for about 11, 12 years, I guess. And anyhow, the policy in that store was the label that is on the shelf is the price that is to be honored unless it's higher than the price that's in the flyer. The flyer knocks it down, that's the price that will be honored. But uh, with that increase, uh, once you got to the till, the gal that you're talking with, you know, uh, she didn't find out until she got to the till. So I want to share a story about the the management of that uh, store in Alberta, how they did things. The customer is always right as a motto. So that price on the shelf, that's the one that they're seeing. Maybe they don't have a flyer or whatever when they went into the store. 
they look at that price, that is the price that is to be honored unless it's higher than the price in the flyer or in the till when you get to the cashier. So the customer is always getting the benefit of the lowest price possible to keep them satisfied no matter what. They get the lowest price. Now, there was a product brought into our store uh, one summer, and it was during a, a barbecue season. So there was a new product that came out, and it was put in the deli area. It was a new kind of barbecue sauce. Now, it wasn't even punched into the system, so there was no label uh, put out with it. There was no price for it. It was just standing there. A customer came in wanted to buy one. And so uh, the customer asked uh, uh, me, uh, what's the prices? Well, I don't know. Let me go check with the manager. And, I, and so I brought the manager back. I said, there's no price there. It, and she said, ma'am, can you give me a couple of minutes? I'll go check real quick in the system and see if there's a price on it. No, there was no price. It wasn't even put into the system yet. And it, this is what the manager did. She came out and saw the lady and says, ma'am, Apparently there is no price on that, so I I don't I don't want to overcharge you. I don't want to undercharge you. So, for today, uh, you want one of these? It's no charge. Take it home and try it out. And you know that lady was a first-time customer in that store, and she became a regular customer after that. That's why you call customer service. You know the store wasn't losing a big deal over. Uh, uh, giving that out, but it went a, a mile with what you call the uh, word of mouth <laughs> with the, the public. Yep. <laughs> so I want to share that. I thought, you know, because there are those that, you know, sometimes you have those squabbles or whatever with the cashier or whatever. It's time to ask, is the manager in? And have a, a, a calm discussion with the manager, you know, and, and maybe resolve there. They want you to come back, and the best thing is to keep the customer happy. <laughs> Always is. And, you know, now with the advent of things like Yelp and online customer reviews, which can spread like wildfire, even if some of them are over the top and just a bit unnecessary, the the fact of the matter is word of mouth is king. If all of a sudden your business gets painted in a negative light, then that becomes a hard tune to change if you're the business owner, operator, or manager. So, you know, the customer isn't necessarily always right, <laughs> but the customer yeah, I, should I, be treated I, fairly at every turn. So I appreciate okay. the story and the time. Gary, anything else you want to say? No, uh, let's, uh, well, let's talk a little hockey. <laughs> okay. Talk a little hockey. I'm pretty happy with what's happened, except uh, I'm from Calgary, so I'm sharing for the Flames tonight. And the Maple Leafs, I'm glad to see that happen last night. I know you, you uh, cheer for the two fellows out here that are in the playoffs from Newfoundland, but I really want that come the cup to come back to Canada. I don't care which Canadian team wins it. I want it to come back to Canada. It's been too long. <laughs> it really has. You know, I don't know if any of our three teams, the Canadian-based teams, have a real shot. Maybe. Calgary. Calgary, Calgary yeah, well, the I West is a little bit more free than the East. Man, the East is stacked with so uh, many the, strong teams. The East, the East is so stacked, and I think uh, whoever gets to the final is going to be beaten up pretty badly by the time they get to to the finals, so I think the easier route to win for a Canadian team is out of the West right now. Yeah, I'd like to see the Cup come back, but I'm I'm all in for Colorado. That's who I'm cheering for this year. 
anyway. I like Colorado too, but I love my Calgary Flames. I was born there, so. <laughs> yeah, I got a soft spot for the Flames. I do appreciate the Battle of Alberta. Always bringing us some pretty entertaining and intense hockey. Uh, appreciate the time, Gary. Okay, have a great day. You too, man. All the best. Bye now. All right, bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the pending changes at Canadian Blood Services, about who can donate in the three-month deferral, and then we're going to talk about some energy prices. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Cavell. You're on the air. Paddy, it's a lovely day today. It is lovely. Can't wait to get out there. Nice and sunny. Yep. Anyhow, I can say thank God for the hard man. He's always speaking for the people. Who, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a good one. Yeah. Now, what I'm talking about is the blood services. Okay. I disagree with it. What do you disagree with? I I disagree with it. You know, giving blood from the LHB uh, people. Okay, so uh, let me try to paint the the picture about what we're talking about here. Canadian Blood Services has been given the go-ahead by Health Canada to remove a policy that was directed towards men who have sex with men. So there was a three-month deferral after they had sex, and now what the policy is going to be is that donors are going to be asked, regardless of their gender or sexual orientation, is whether or not they've had sex with a new partner or multiple sexual partners in the last three months. So what's the problem that you have with that? Well, how do we know they're telling the truth, Patty? Well, how, how would you know they're telling the truth regardless of the in the old policy? Yeah. Well, the old policy, they didn't agree with it, all right? The old policy, they didn't agree with it. Well, it was pretty much discriminatory, though, wasn't it? Oh, my darling, it was, yes. Yeah. So why do you disagree with the new change? now where evil is good and good is evil. And the uh, last thing I would say, my love, is, you know, if I had to have a blood transfusion, I would rather die than take the blood. Why is that? Because it is, uh, it is not the right thing to do. You know, I mean, uh, we, do, we do know that God made a male and female, all right? Yeah. And, I mean, between two women or two men, no, I mean, it's abomination of God. That's all I can say. But not everybody is a follower of God or the Catholic no, Church's know, teachings. Are, our country was founded on the Bible. And we're no, it wasn't. Bible. It, but it, it wasn't. Um, but, you know, for instance, people who are opposed to homosexuality have a moral or some matter of conscience uh, that means that they don't approve or don't like it. But if it's not something you're participating in, why wouldn't it be okay for people to uh, be homosexual, to be in love, man and a man, a woman and a woman? Because sexual orientation, I mean, if we're talking about God created all, then God also created people who are LGBTQ, right? Yeah. Well, anyhow, like I said, I wouldn't take a chance, my love. You know, just for context, once again, the screening that they do, regardless of whether or not you're a man or a woman, gay or not, bisexual or not, is, you know, drug, the uh, tests that identify HIV or hepatitis B. The blood being screened, like the person who gets a blood transfusion will have no idea where the blood came from, but what they will know is that the blood has now been tested and screened for all because you can be as straight as, uh, as you want to be and still yeah. possibly had a sexual partner that might have some sexually transmitted disease or another. So they screened it quite carefully. And remember back in the 90s when this policy came forward, it was all because of the tainted blood scandal. So now the work they do is intense to identify and to ensure that the blood that's donated is clean and healthy blood that can be transfused into somebody when they need it the most. So you'll yeah. make your own decisions, Cavell, and about who people are and their sexual orientation and behaviors. But for me, to 
know that you know, there's always the commercial saying, we need your blood. We need donations, you know. Give us a call, show up, have an appointment, and donate your blood. So now more and more people are going to be able to. And we're not going to discriminate. We're going to take blood. We're going to screen it. And people who need it will get it. So your point and your opinion, fair ball. I was just throwing out some additional thoughts on the matter. Yeah. Okay, my love. You take good care of yourself, Cabell. Bye-bye, my doll. All righty. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, let's go to line number three. Tom, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning. I wanted to start with uh, garbage very quickly. Um, I actually last year picked up part of uh, Pitts Memorial and uh, and I picked up 24 bags of garbage and a few tires and all that stuff. This year I went out again and in, a, in just in a short section of it, I got seven bags. So I'm going to go out again this afternoon if I can get some time. And uh, anyway, it's, it's I, th- I want to challenge everybody to find a, a particularly bad part of their their town or their community or their road or whatever and, and, and focus on it. If we all pull together, all of us, or there'd be no garbage for all the tourists or for us driving back and forth to work to have a look at. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, we've done some cleaning up around and it's not over, so I might even uh, make time for one of these community cleanups because I'm always talking big game, so I might as well go out and get my hands dirty or my gloves dirty, I guess. Yeah, it's a little bit of good exercise too. Touch your toes a couple hundred times and, and it makes you feel good on a nice day. I want to jump over to uh, inflation, and and during COVID, there was uh, there's a lar- there was a large group of people, including some social activists and uh, trade unions, who who consistently believe that the solution to all our problems is endless borrowing and spending, and and during COVID, they seem to be validated because the money was being distributed and people, especially poor people, were being lifted out of poverty and. Um, and it seemed all like like the, the whole concept of the n- new economics was 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 validated, and and you know some of us in the background were saying, wait a second, you know there's no free lunch, um, look out for this inflation, and 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 then there was signs that it was that there was inflation, but it was probably going to be short term, and and now there's a lot of evidence that it's actually um, going to be permanent, uh, well, well permanent is not the right word, but that it's now entrenched, and and now of course it's a different. Uh, the different uh, banks, federal banks, can you know they're now starting to to realize they have to raise their uh, the central banks raising the uh, the interest rates and of course that is a scary prospect for a lot of people if they are leveraged and and you know and, and as we look you know you know of course and simultaneously their campaigns were launched to uh, dissuade any sort of austerity very strongly driven out that word was driven out even though it doesn't apply to municipal or provincial governments because they don't have the ability to control you know their money supply and and now we're looking at a situation where those same poor people and and middle class people who were benefiting from those uh, distributions of of borrowed or created money are now looking at uh, you know devastating situations so you know I, I want to just remind everybody um, that this stuff is all very complicated of course um, but when we just start discussing about things, you know, where we're we where we don't have that connection between um, good fiscal responsible management, whether it's on a personal or a business or a government level, 
there are consequences, and we're seeing them very directly. Sure, but I think there's a huge difference between uh, whatever people want to talk about it, fiscal conservatism and what have you, but the pandemic is a hard thing to measure against anything else. I mean, it just is. And I get the whole bit about, I mean, a deficit of $380-odd billion is an astronomical sum. My thought on that would be, I don't know what the appropriate number for government to have spent is and how you know my grandchildren are going to be still repaying this debt but the economic downside to not allowing people to keep their head above water businesses remain open the recovery will take i don't know a decade longer than it already has we've rebounded to the number of jobs pre-pandemic were there growth of 6.5 percent gdp last quarter there are some upsides to the money that's spent uh, every sovereign nation on the face of the earth is in a very similar predicament when it comes to net debt to gdp or however people like to measure these things but can you imagine if there wasn't swift attention given to businesses and wage subsidy serb and the other programs i know that there was a lack of oversight and monitoring i know some people that didn't need it or were ineligible got it but man recovering from people the numbers of canadians that would have been bankrupt and businesses insolvent that recovery model looks dreadful compared to where we are your thoughts i totally agree and and for me the issue is not um whether or not people needed help and it isn't even whether the programs were put out there it's it's the fact that as we recover or now that we are really probably, when you look at long-term, the the impact of climate change, as we take mitigation measures are going to happen, we're at the apex right now. So now is the time to be trying to be fiscally responsible and to uh, try and roll these this spending back. I mean, we just had a budget, and in that budget, we've consistently increased our spending. We're, we're borrowing. There's no talk. And, and behind the scenes, it's very obvious that during COVID, it should be very obvious to people that the different levels of government looked after themselves first, the most. The most money that got distributed was to people who, even if they were not needed or if they were underemployed or whatever else, they still got their full paychecks. Not only that, they all, most government employees through COVID receive raises, and that also has a knock-on effect for pensions. A lot of pensions are underfunded. A lot of benefits are underfunded. And and people need to realize that every penny that we pay more, whether it's a doctor or any raises that are given municipally, provincially, federally, all that money is borrowed. Every single penny is borrowed. And, and there are consequences to all of us for that. And, you know, I, I, want, I just want to remind people, it's, it's, it's very easy to, because most people have government employees as family, friends, everybody's like, oh, that's all wonderful. Uh, however, at the end of the day, that money is going to have to be paid one way or the other in higher taxation, lower standard of living. There's no free lunch. And, and these decisions, as long as it is equitable, which right now it's not, as long as it's equitable, it's okay. Uh, but it's not equitable. And, and right now, I fear City of St. John's employees are in negotiations. Provincial government employees, um, their, their collective agreements are expiring, have expired, some of them in April. They're all back in negotiations. Um, you know, the reality is that we cannot afford to maintain our standard of living based on the fact that we rely on extractive industries and non-renewable resources and the fact that we have to take drastic actions to reduce those. So, so you don't if you're in, if you have a business and you can see that your business, your main source of revenue is going to drop off, no matter how you cut it, slice it in the not too distant future, you have to make d- difficult decisions now. And, and you need to take a leadership role if you are in government or if you are in a union or, you know, especially if you're in a leadership role. 
to make sure that the future is bright. But I want to bounce over because I know we can talk for this all day. Um, we can only bounce over for a minute, though. We're late for the news. Okay. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry, buddy. Okay, I just wanted to say there are things people can do. I was speaking to a retired person who has an oil furnace and a few baseboard heaters. They cut their oil furnace uh, back, and they've turned on their electric heaters. And just for people's context, oil right now is costing you about $6.63 per 100,000 BTUs. Electric baseboard around $3.30, so it's half the price if you can get electric heat. And a heat pump between $1.65 and 215. So there are ways you can do, focus on insulation, focus on, on reducing where you can, try and keep yourself comfortable and stay safe. Appreciate okay. the time, Tom. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Take care, bye-bye. All right, uh, time for the newscast. How are we doing on the telephone there, Greg? Greg, speaking with someone on the telephone. Let's take a break for the news. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go to line number two. Tracy, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How you doing, my buddy? Doing great today. You? Good, thanks. Good. Um, my name is Tracy. I am a non-binary person from Central. Um, I'm, I'm in my 30s. I have always kind of complained about open line. Would never call. Um, but this is the first time I had to. The lady that spoke just a little while ago, um, I called her a dinosaur when I first called in because that's the only reference that I can think of um, as a person from my community. Um, I just think that she's probably, her mentality is what is wrong with humanity right now. And unfortunately, I don't like to, you know, um, partake in ageism, but it's something, there's such a huge divide between generations right now on the island, in Canada. Um, it's, it's crazy. Um, I believe that a lot of it stems from right-wing conservatism and Christianity. I think that's a huge part of it, but uh, one mohill at a time. Anyway, I would just like to point out how incredibly offensive it is um, to have someone like that come on the air in a public forum for people that are discussing pretty open-minded and humanitarian issues where we all relate to each other and, and kind of you know hold each other up the best way that we can. Um, she doesn't help. And I mean, it's harsh, I know, but they'll all be dead soon and then the world will be a better place. Well, I'm not going to touch that one, but what I will say is that, you know, when this sort of stuff creeps into social commentary, I think it has way more hurt associated with it than help. And it's not even a religious stance anymore. It becomes, it becomes worse than that. You know, I don't, I don't, mind people having their own, pardon me, that's not the right way to say it. People can have their religious views all they like. It's the imposition on their religious views on others that I think creates a massive problem in society. So, you know, whether it be about gay marriage, whether it be about gay men donating blood, whether it be about abortion, if there are things that you're opposed to, the only thing you can control in this world, the only thing you should be able to control in this world is your own behaviors. So if you don't think it's appropriate, if you don't agree with it, then don't do it. But for everyone else out there who is making their own life choices, and as, as a certain sexual orientation, so be it. I don't even know why it bothers others because the fact that you're a non-binary person from Central doesn't impact my life one iota. So why would I worry about it? Why would I talk about it? Why would I condemn you? Why would I ostracize you? So all of those social issues that are really political flashpoints, you know, we're falling for something that is not even hurting anybody. Like, your 
position in this world does not hurt that caller or me or anybody else. So I'm just not really sure why some people are so opposed to things that are different from them or different from what they're used to or different from the religious teachings that they were, I was going to say indoctrinated, but that they were dealt with uh, all their lives. I, I know that it might seem like I may be considered, uh, you know, far left and very, um, you know, emotional and extreme and whatnot. You, you know, you get classified whichever way. It doesn't matter. But I come from a place of like childhood trauma from the church. So I just I can't listen to it. You know, I have to say something, even though it might seem uh, over the top. Um, those views are damaging children, hang themselves from garage pillars because of that mentality i didn't thank god i just decided to get a debilitating drug habit instead we all deal with it in horrible ways but uh yeah lady please reconsider your point of view before you try and you know say it to somebody who doesn't know the difference and can't think for themselves and know that you're you know 35 year old 3500 year old story doesn't apply a lot uh, these days, especially if you have the same views of when it was first written. But anyways, too much too much of my own personal beef there. But thank you, Patty. Have a great day. Um, yeah, and hopefully the world gets better and better as the generations go on, as I'm sure it will. Thanks. I, have a good one. I appreciate your time, Tracy. Take care. Bye-bye. And, you know, another one that I'm not quite sure why some people are just so offended by an issue like this. The whole concept now of people talking about their own pronouns, right? He, him, she, her, them, they. It's just such a minor matter. If someone chooses to abide by one set of pronouns or another, fine. You know, people are consistently emailing me and things and telling me that it's dividing society. I just can never wrap my mind around or totally understand how that hurts you if you choose to not acknowledge it in your own world and maybe will not use the pronouns that one person or another would like to hear you use when referencing that person then okay but how it becomes such a big explosive part of societal discourse i just don't get it maybe i'm missing something you know, and just look what's happening now. And I know it's curious when you look to what goes on in other countries. And we talk about human rights, and I think that's an appropriate conversation because empathy doesn't end at the border. And what's happening now, and a report that's leaked, the majority decision coming from the Supreme Court of the United States, talk about the potential that they're going to overturn in full Roe Ro versus Wade. Of course, one of the most famous and controversial pieces of legislation that absolutely divides American politics. You know, some of that's based in your own religious beliefs, so be it. But, you know, we also have to be realistic, right? We have to stand back and think about what implications come from one piece of legislation or another. You know, Brown versus the Board of Education, Roe v. Wade. All things like that do is if you do away with available safe abortions, there will still be abortions, but now all of a sudden they're going to be unsafe. Historically, the research is clear. When it's been made available publicly funded, it's safe. When you do away with the publicly funded regulated abortions and the clinics, then all you get is the same number of women getting abortions, but now all of a sudden they're unsafe. So, you know, my thoughts on the matter, I can't impose on you. Your thoughts on issues, we shouldn't have to have them imposed on us. And I, look, I grew up in a Catholic household, right? I did. Went to Catholic boys' school. But I still understand that 
some of these societal issues that we are making every effort to divide us really were exaggerating what it means to your own health and happiness and sanctity of life. If someone in your neighborhood is a homosexual and you disagree with it, it, does, it doesn't hurt your life. It doesn't hurt you. You know, and even inside of religious teachings of empathy and understanding and compassion and forgiveness and all the things that have been the tenets of a variety of the Christian religions, they're so conveniently shelved when it's something that you simply don't agree with. And it's okay to disagree, but if it doesn't impact you or hurt or ruin your life or harm you in any personal way, then I really don't understand why it becomes so divisive the way it is these days. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, caller, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. Hi. Hi, how are you today? Doing okay. How about you? Not too bad, thanks. Um, I had an opportunity yesterday uh, morning to uh, tune into your preamble, and you spoke about uh, a local lawyer who's been charged with uh, sexual assault, but there's a publication ban. Mm-hmm. Um so preventing his name from being released to the public. And um, I take issue with that, and I find that to be quite absurd, really, that a, uh, a lawyer would actually grant a publication ban to protect the the, uh, the offender um, rather than the normal re- um, reason why a, ba- a publication ban would be um, granted would be to protect the victim, which I wholeheartedly agree with. But um, I'm just wondering what, uh, if you had any other callers on it, and if you haven't, I'd encourage them to call in, because um, when you make exceptions like that, then everyone uh will want to be part of the exception rather than following the rules. And, um, you know, you make an exception for a lawyer um, to, you know, protect him while he's, um, you know, still in practice, what have you, so it doesn't, um, you know, harm his um, career or um, uh, that sort of thing, you know, just protecting him in general, his identity is, is hidden and not disclosed to the public, then why protect him any more than just Joe Citizen or a teacher or a police officer or a priest or whatever, you know? Um, I'm just wondering what what will be done or what can be done uh, by the Department of Justice to actually investigate it, I guess, a little bit further so that the public is more not is made more aware, I guess, of why this has taken place and why an exception has been made in this case. Well, do we really want a political department to get involved in uh, judicial rulings like that when we have all sorts of avenues all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada? I like politicians out of the justice system as much as possible, but I understand your point. The issue, again, is a tricky one because... I have, anyone has the ability to petition the court for a publication ban. And you're right, it's generally for the victim, not for the alleged perpetrator. And in this case, 
the particular lawyer goes on to say he deprives him of his presumption of innocence, uh, undermine his dignity, affect his reputation negatively. Okay, so if it's good for that person, does that not necessarily mean, or does it obviously mean, then that same thing or concept would apply to all who've been charged? Because you and I know full well there's a lot of folks sitting down watching the news. They see someone being brought into the courtroom in handcuffs just for their initial hearing in front of a judge. They're guilty. They got to be guilty, right? They're there with the handcuffs on. So if it's good for this person, then it should be good for all. I think that this is a mistake, personally speaking, but we all have the opportunity to petition the court for the same thing. So a lawyer didn't give this or grant this publication ban. The judge did. And I think it's a little bit flimsy, to be honest, given the fact that we've got names on court dockets for people who don't have the horsepower, the money, the resources to chase these types of publication bans versus this person who's got all of the, the aforementioned. Exactly. And that's my point in calling in is that I think that, you know, people shouldn't be um, intimidated just because it's a lawyer, uh, you know, that's been charged and for the reasons you've just stated, you know, has um, the ability to be able to know the ins and outs and be able to seek a publication ban when, you know, anyone else may not have those resources available to them. And they're ostracized in small communities. Even if you're Joe Citizen with no status, do you still want to be ostracized uh, when you're living in a fishbowl in a small community where everyone knows everyone's business and then to try and live a so-called normal life until you're given a chance to go to trial and actually, you know, uh, claim your or prove your innocence if that's the case. So, um, you know, those um, uh, people are so judgmental and they don't give people a chance. So even if you're innocent at the end of a trial or whatever, people will still um, see you on, under different light and, you know, make uh, make life very difficult. I think especially in small towns where people know um, people, uh, everyone in in the neighborhoods and uh, neighboring communities, and it adversely affects them. And who knows what lengths they go to, you know, to um, because of the shame and and all that sort of thing, even though they're innocent. Yeah, you know, which is another part of human nature that is sort of hard to avoid. Uh, I get where you're coming from. You know, the concept of when you got off on a technicality. And we hear that kind of yeah. stuff all the time. There's, I think case by case is probably very different stuff because there can be very clear lack or absence of evidence. There could be some science that proves someone to be innocent. So there's, I think, different ways we view different outcomes based on the facts of that one particular case. But I understand your point, and I appreciate you making time. Would you like to say anything else? Um, yeah, I, I just wish, uh, well, uh, my p- purpose in calling is to... Um, you know, um, hopefully someone will drill down a little bit into this and investigate, you know, uh, the the judge who actually made this decision and, um, you know, find out exactly why it was made. And then, you know, uh, maybe then people won't be made exceptions uh, and everyone will follow by the same rules and be treated uh, equally regardless of what your profession is. And uh, just briefly before I go, um, I wanted to touch on the Crown Lands office in Cornerbrook. Uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, the office, the front uh, counter service has been suspended or has been closed. 
and uh, it's almost impossible to get to speak to anyone there. As soon as you call the number, it prompts you, it, like no one answers, it just prompts you to a uh, voice recording that says, uh, basically, you know, if you want to make an appointment, then um, contact us via whatever the address is and uh, online. And um, then they say, if you want to speak to an officer, you know, press one, you press one, they'll say our lines are busy or all our officers are busy, no matter when you call. That's like I've been calling for a while now. And even with all the restrictions lifted and everyone else in the general public trying to live a so-called normal life and to uh, live, you know, with these new parameters or whatever, the pandemic, um, why should Crown Land uh, Office uh, be exempt from that when, um, you know, you may have to make several appointments to actually uh, get the answer that you could get basically with one visit to the front counter where you could look at maps and, and you know, ask the right questions and things. So um, basically, I'm of the opinion that, you know, unless they're all immunocompromised or they can't have, they don't have access to plexiglass to, uh, you know, to protect the employees or whatever, there's no reason why that office should not be open to the public. And um, uh, I have spoken to them last uh, last year and uh, basically when you talk to them it's more of uh, I think they try to deter people from applying from crown land uh, because they tell you that uh, Kruger is not signing off on any land right now and they kind of put you off onto other departments like agriculture or whatever like for land and uh, so I think it's all part of the big you know the bigger picture would be basically We'll keep this pandemic, um, uh, the excuses like, you know, about the pandemic, keep that going as long as we can so that we don't have to face the public and explain to them, you know, at the front counter uh, anything and try and protect themselves so that uh, until, you know, uh, I guess things are sorted out and uh, they won't receive such backlash, I guess, from the public. So I take exception to that that office, the front counter service still being closed when everyone else, the little kids are back to school, everything is open, you know, no mask and everything else. And yet those people, um, you know, can still just answer a phone and they still go into the building and they still have to go shopping. They still have to go to what? and live a normal life outside their job, but they're protected in their workplace when everyone else is, you know, basically out there trying to survive. So that's my thoughts on that. Fair point, and I appreciate you making time for the show this morning. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. So someone on the email just said that uh, the talk about the lawyer who's now still anonymous publication ban facing historic sexual assaults, it's all alleged crimes at this moment, is that people who want to know the name are on a witch hunt, well, isn't it more a case of shouldn't everybody be treated equally inside the courts? Because we know there's a difference between the rich and the poor, right? There's a difference between the high and mighty, the corporation and the individual. So that's the basis of, for me, do I need to know the person's name? No, but the thought that there are some very different levels of equity 
in criminal justice and not because of judges necessarily but because if I have the money to outweigh you then that's how some things simply get derailed and maybe sometimes justice civilly or criminally is not served let's take a break when we come back bees don't go away weekdays on VOCM it's open line with your host Patty Daly join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM we get people talking welcome back to the show let's go line number three say good morning to Paul Din from Adelaide honey good morning Paul you're on the air Good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad this morning. How about you? Good, good. I, I want to start off just by saying uh, the communication sharing on your show is fantastic. Uh, all the stories I've been listening for a while, and, and just uh, it's so good. Uh, I, I know a, a couple of people mentioned that they hope the government is listening, and I know for a fact that government's not only listening, they're taking minutes, and they're writing down what people are saying, and because and, uh, I've, I've had it happen myself uh and and uh, so that's that is that, that the message. What they're going to do with it now is another thing. But but they're they're definitely listening. You know, um, we just uh, we just returned from a, a, a meeting with beekeepers in Ontario and Quebec. And and uh, three weeks uh, three weeks we are gone. And uh, well, it was uh, it was it was an eye opening and and uh, shocking. To be honest with you, because uh, you're meeting with people who are, uh, you know, um, these are long-term beekeepers, and uh, they've lost, like, uh, one group in Quebec especially, 90% of their hives are, are dead. And this is due to a combination of the varroa mite and these other pests and, and different diseases. Um, starvation's a problem there as well. Um, but the big thing um, that... You know, these like when you're talking ninety percent, it's like anything. If you had whatever it is, ninety percent, or anyway, the, the, it was always between seventy to ninety percent of losses for each of these uh, beekeepers that we spoke with, and uh, it's it's shocking. You know, it's it's uh, it's shocking because uh, they're basically starting again. You know, they've got to get more colonies and import them, and they we're we're so we're so thankful here and so lucky. Uh, that we don't have to think about these things, but uh, but these people are. Uh, I mean, it's devastating. Like you're watching, you're watching people cry, <laughs> right? Because uh, it had, it it really came into a, a head when we were there. Uh, we're there partly on on a holiday to meet some family, and then we said we'll we'll start visiting some beekeepers at the same time. And uh, you know, these are beekeepers that they treated for the mites and they medicated and they did. They did everything as they would normally do, and they still they still had the lot the, these huge losses. You know, um, is there ever an occasion where the importation of bees is required and can be done safely? Well, <laughs> this is this is the thing. I mean, uh, we 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 personally don't think there is in our province a need to bring in bees, okay. and 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 it's it's. It's simply because it's the inspection that they go through. Like it's, you got to look at it. People, humans, we make mistakes. People make mistakes. So if they're doing an inspection of, they might say, well, we need to inspect 20% of the colonies, or we need to inspect uh, 50%. But what about the ones that you didn't inspect, or if you miss something? It's it's not something like you can go back on and say, well. We missed this varroa mite. Now it's gotten in, and and now the damage is done. That's basically what what could happen. So we're totally like we're in a very unique case in, on the island. Let's let's never 
think about importating importation at all because we just can't risk it. You know, you could bring in a disease, you could bring in, uh, at the worst case, one of these uh, varroa mites, and then that's it. You're you're stuck with it. And they might say, oh, we can, you know, we're going to have uh, colonies somewhere on an island, and if we, we get it, it's it's once you get it, it's permanent. So I think for now, uh, our situation being as unique as it is, let's steer away uh, from importation. And something I wanted to bring up, because of again back to government, is if you're driving into Nova Scotia right now or at any of the entry points in Nova Scotia, there's a sign on the highway. It says "Honeybee Importation Prohibited," and that's government in Nova Scotia. I saw the sign. So, I think you posted it. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, like, why can we not? This, I know it's been talked about with our own government. I'm just wondering, this seems to me like an easy one. <laughs> like, let's put some signage up so people won't just innocently be driving into the province thinking, hey, we're moving to Newfoundland. Let's bring our bees as part of the cargo and just innocently bring them in. Uh, so that, to me, I know it's been talked about uh, in the past. And I'm just wondering if maybe you'd reach out to the minister and see if uh, there's been any movement on that. Or maybe this is something that's about to happen. Um, because we'd really like to see that same signage here just to alert the public that, hey, you're not supposed to bring any bees into Newfoundland. Uh, very quickly before we take another caller, Paul, I know over the last number of years there's been a big explosion in things like homesteading, but certainly backyard beekeeping as well. There has. It's, it's, uh, everyone here uh, is, is – uh, we're uh, – you know, it's, it's interesting with COVID um, – we, we had a lot of, we used to do our, our honeybee hike, which people could come in and, and go down and see the bees, and we're hoping to do that again this year. But uh, the backyard beekeeping really took off. Everyone wanted to get more into beehives because they were home. And you could go out and take care of your beehive and, and, and that type of thing. So it is, it's, it's definitely, it's something that is one of the most, I mean, we're in such a, we're in such a fortunate situation because we don't have to medicate our bees. It's, it, beekeeping here is really easy. When I, when I spoke to the beekeepers there, it was just like, boy, this is incredible hard work and, and, uh, and they're not getting the rewards that they should for the work they're doing. But uh, yeah, beekeeping is 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 doing uh, great in Newfoundland right now. I'm knocking on wood as I say that to you, and uh, and you know it's it's something that we want more people to get involved with it and be responsible with it. But the big thing we don't want people to do is try to import bees or used equipment from outside the province. And we we want the government to also understand that this is such a unique situation that even any any type of thought of importing bees into the province should be should be totally against that at, at this time you know what about if i'm just simply afraid of bees <laughs> if you're no we've had people that are afraid of bees and uh we've had them come here and and if someone is afraid of bees and look they're they've got a they're a bit nervous of them i mean they're welcome we just give us a call or we'd love to bring them in and just you know put a bee suit on them and let them stand up by them and see what they're like they're they're totally they have no they're not like wasps where you could be walking through the woods and all of a sudden this wasp comes and starts attacking you or you know stinging you they're totally not interested in us they're they're just landing a lot of times a bee will land on me like two or three at a time and they're just taking a rest they're they're about to go back to the beehive and so it's it's not something you need to be concerned with honeybees of suddenly getting stung or anything like that uh they're totally because when when a honeybee stings you they die 
right? So you don't, they don't, they don't want to die, and they don't want to. Now, if you're if you're going to the front of their hive and you're knocking on it or you're disrupting them somehow, then they're going to most likely, you know, uh, defend themselves, right? But uh, but as far as um, as far as uh, coming after you like a wasp would do, it's not going to happen, you know. But uh, the the big one for us today is the, the message I want to get is this simple signage. Uh, the, the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Like we, we've been talking, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, we've got this plan. If we get Varroa mite, we've got this plan. That's, what's, what's, the, what, what's happening? I, I'd love to know, uh, you know, with that signage, because that to me is a very simple one. A few signs at all the ports of entry here in the province so people can be, hey, uh, we're not allowed to bring those bees into into the province, you know? Yeah, I mean, why have to come up with a plan to mitigate uh, against one disease or mite or another when you can avoid it uh, up front? Yeah. 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 Fair enough, Paul. Good to have you on the program. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Patty. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. It's Paul Bye-bye. Din from Adelaide. Honey, let's take a break when we come back. We're talking a little Mother's Day and what Chris sees in the median. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Chris, you're on the air. Oh, how are you today, Paddy? Doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Bye. I uh, was helping my aunt get rid of some old furniture there the weekend, and we went down to Robin Hood Bay Dump, and down there, you know, there wasn't actually much garbage. Robin Hood Bay Dump is pretty, it's pretty clean down around there now. The way they got it set up down there is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well put together place down there. But when you're driving back, like if you're taking the Hour Ring Road, I guess is. Uh, and you start driving back over towards where for this Kelsey Drive area. I mean, there's a steady stream of garbage in the median and on each side of the road. And I was I was so happy that uh, I think it was Tom and the councillor from St. John's Hill. They were speaking about the importance of cleaning up garbage and uh, and even having some of the community cleanups going on there. But the last time that I can remember uh, the government talking about having anything to do with cleaning up garbage in the medians and the highway uh, was when Dwight Barr was premier and it was highly discouraged for people to get out to clean up uh, garbage in the median. And I, I'll, I'll stop at saying that it was made illegal. Do, do you remember that? I do. Well, I mean, there is an obvious risk of getting out of your vehicle and going into the median on a high-speed road like a highway, outering road or otherwise. I mean, there's a reason why they shut it down for the large-scale cleanups, just so we don't have the unfortunate uh, headline that says, uh, man killed, woman killed on the outering road. All they were trying to do was pick up a discarded chair or something. I get the, the want to do uh, good by society and the community and clean stuff up, but it'd be yeah. just awful if we had that that oh, tragedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll buy. And 100%, like, if there was going to be any type of a cleanup, it has to be well organized. But we got people working on the roads all the time, out putting up guardrails, you know, putting in new culvert systems, whatever. And there's a very low death rate when it comes to that. So, aside from taking it on yourself to go uh, take the initiative to clean up and to be your own operative, maybe there'd be something better that could, uh, the government can do. Because, like, it's not, it doesn't stop at Pitts Memorial Drive. I drove out from St. John's this morning uh, as far as Whitburn and cut down towards St. that way. And I counted, I kept an eye for it. two seconds, couldn't go by without me seeing about 15 pieces of garbage then from tires, coolers, lawn chairs, Tim Hortons cups, uh, whatever have you, right? It was just a city stream and as unfortunate, unfortunate as it would be to hear about a death, you know, uh, there was a caller called in there yesterday and he said that the comment from the couple of Alberta tourists was how dirty the space is or like it'd be nice if people cleaned up the garbage. And if somebody gets off now and they want to go down to the Irish Loop or go out down St. Mary's Bay and they're driving out the highway, you know, they're, they're getting a half hour, 45 minutes of, uh, you know, garbage looking right in their face, right? And, uh, 
I understand it is just after the winter and, you know, people, uh, the buddy who took the call at the USCM this morning, he said that, yeah, it's always bad this time of year. And it is. It's always bad after the winter. A lot of garbage builds up. But stuff in the median stays in the median and grass grows over it and then, you know, it's just a rinse and repeat. So I'd like to see the government... It should be cleaned up from Whitburn right to St. John's and it needs to be some type of program that's well organised and I don't know how much government uh, money is available for that now, but there are a lot of people who are uh, low-risk offenders in the, the justice system that should have the opportunity to get out and do community service for reduced sentences or, you know, get out on good behaviour. I mean, it's a lot better to get out, get a bit of exercise and do a bit of work and get a bit of fresh air and sunlight than this to be locked up in a concrete room down in the pen for, uh, for a, low, uh, a low charge of crime, you know? Well, so, even if folks who haven't committed a crime that requires being incarcerated, how about all the people out there who owe thousands and tens of thousands yeah. of dollars in fines? Maybe they'd be good oh, candidates yeah. for the chain gang. Absolutely, 100% behind you and anything like that right because you know like you talk about before the reality is that a lot of that money is never going to be received with the, the fine payment but I mean mandated uh, if you have people that want to play a lot of rules maybe you could have like a mandated customer, uh, customer service uh, community service and if people aren't willing to participate in that then maybe you know a weekend down in Japan or something smarting someone up and we, we don't like slapping people on the wrist and uh, yelling and bowing at people trying to get them to get behind a good idea but every now and then you, you kind of got you got to nudge a few people in the right direction you know and uh I just think it's heartbreaking to see that much garbage going out there because not one piece of garbage by this is such a beautiful place and I think it represents the kind of attitude that you know people have like if you don't respect and keep your own home clean then it just shows that you don't have a high respect for it so it's just sad to see but okay. with that being said you know it's it's, uh, it's not all bad I'd like to throw I'd like to say a bouquet out to the fellas out at Slumberjay in Don- Donovan's Park I got, a, I got a bicycle there last week and I went for a drive from Bowering Park all the way out to CBS but when I was uh and I was half killed afterwards. But uh, when I was going up there through Donovan's, I was driving past Slumberjay out there, and three of the boys were out there with the coveralls on, their hard hats, all their safety gear out, and they were out cleaning up garbage. But they weren't just cleaning up garbage inside of the, the fence around Slumberjay out there. They were outside, they were cleaning up garbage out by the trail, and even on the other side of the trail, which is outside of the... Uh, the ownership of the property Slumberjay there, right? So it's, it's, you know, it's good to see that people are getting out and they are cleaning up the garbage. But instead of just saying that, you know, you clean up the garbage on your own property, you know, expand your reach a little bit and maybe go a little bit further than you normally would because it might just be, you know, your house and one plot of land, but you do live in the city and we all live here together, you know? <laughs> Appreciate this, Chris. Thanks. All, right, All, right, you. All the best. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, last word very likely this morning goes to line number six. Good morning, Durham Flynn. You're on the air. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, I know we're up against the clock and you're having a busy show. I just wanted to call in and and, and uh, say a few words about the great Gila Fleur, the flower, as they call them. He was obviously to give him a, a, a fabulous send-off today, well-deserved, because... He, put, he he was a fellow that uh, that brought a lot of uh, great memories to an awful lot of people for a long time. Back when when hockey wasn't paying millions and millions and millions of dollars to to uh, to players to play, he was playing for the love of the sport. And uh, whether you were a fan or considered him uh, a threat, uh, people respected him and respected his uh, his kindness and his availability to people when he was. Uh, in public, I mean, he never turned down an autograph. Uh, I had the pleasure of hosting him at our home in Walbush back in the 80s and uh, brought him in for minor hockey, and he waited for every last hockey player to uh, to be available to sign an autograph for him. 
He was one of my hockey heroes. I have to admit that quite uh, quite openly. I love Lafleur. It was between him and Robinson. They were my guys. And yes, I had the occurrence uh, to meet him a couple of times, and it was a thrill to say the very least. He's notorious for offering uh, to be there until the last autograph is signed, and he's getting some send-off today. So in about two and a half minutes, he will be uh, taken from the Bell Center and headed towards, I think, it's, uh, Mary Queen of the World Cathedral in Montreal for the funeral proceedings today. It's actually going to be covered on national television as well, so people are going to be able to flick on the TV and watch the national funeral for Guy Lafleur. It is great to see that that kind of a send-off has been afforded a fellow that he's been out of hockey for quite a while, obviously. I'm wearing his uh, jersey today, and I'm wearing a special pin that he gave me, uh, a number 10 with a wig on it that was designed by a Quebec jeweler, and one of a kind that Lafleur gave me when he uh, when he visited Labrador, and uh, we had the pleasure of, of uh, serving him dinner and uh, had pictures taken with him, and then right after that, he uh, a couple of months later when hockey began, he brought us, our whole family, out to Montreal to uh, to be his guests, and he took us to the dressing room and, and introduced us to all of the players of that day, Robinsons and Schutz and all of those guys, and uh, it was, it, but but the way he the way he treated people and the way he spoke out, I guess, in some cases, uh, controversially about about the way hockey was going and whatever, and his fallen outs and that type of thing with, uh, with his bosses, and but he was uh, he was an ordinary fellow that uh, that gave us some great uh, some great uh, entertainment over the years, and uh, I still recall the 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 night that he he scored a goal against uh, Boston, and uh, that was one of the we were at a house when uh, when uh, the owner was a Boston fan, and he went to bed and left us all down in the dressing room in the in the house, and uh, Montreal went on to win the game that night and uh, it's, it's featured as one of the features of, of hockey all time uh, slap shots I guess and uh, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's a sad sad time but also a time when, when of course uh, it's nice that he has been remembered in such a such a positive way by his, by his fans and by the people who uh, who respected him not necessarily adored him because he, he was always a threat to their teams but uh, yeah. he was a great one uh, one of the most famous hockey players in the world at the time for sure so leaving the uh, the Bell Centre right now which is of course at the corner of De La Montagne Street and Canadian de Montréal Avenue and heading to the Mary Queen of the World Cathedral on René de Levesque Boulevard I appreciate this term that's fascinating that you uh, had the opportunity to spend that kind of time with the Fleur I really appreciate the story and the time Thank you very much, Patty, and all the best to you. And I guess we have, we got to wait till next year. Hopefully, one of the Canadian teams will pull it off this year and bring the bring the Stanley Cup back to Canada. Fair enough. Thanks, Derm. Take care. All the best. Bye bye. All right, we are indeed out of time, but we will pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer Greg Smith, I'm your host Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye bye.